Alright, welcome everybody. This is Under the Streetlight. I am your host, The Shadow. And uh, before I bring on our guest, I just want to do a real quick announcement. Um, uh, my former partner, uh, Anna Brandemart, is no longer going to be with Under the Streetlight. She has decided to pursue some ventures of her own, so I wish her all the best of luck and successes. Um, so there might be a little bit of a delay with uh, getting some guests in line, having to make some quick adjustments. But uh, with that being said, uh, you can still find our merch, and you can also find the audio for tonight's show, as well as every other show on Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, Samsung Podcast, RSS, Amazon Music, all of that. All those links will be in the description down below. And if you haven't already, do share, subscribe, follow, like, all that good jazz, and help Under the Streetlight become a success because this show is not going to happen without you, the listener. And if you have questions for any of our guests, if, and you'll be able to see this tonight, um, you can leave a comment and I will put them up on the screen and we will get our guests to answer them. Um, so without any further delay, uh, tonight's guest, she is a rising comedian out of Florida, and I've had a chance to check out some of his work. He is hilarious. And uh, his links that you want to follow are the first set of links you will find in the description below. So, ladies and gentlemen, Dewey Sean. What's Welcome up, everybody? Thanks for having me. So, how's the weather down there? It's hot. It's hot. It's miserable. People are miserable. It's crowded. Everybody comes here. It's that time of year where we just get like overly populated more so than normal. And everybody's oh, yeah. just miserable and hot and angry. Yeah, I mean, normally, you know, we get hot too, but uh, it, right now it's just storming pretty good. And uh, speaking of storms, I do want to let people know um, if the show cuts off for any reason, I apologize. And if that happens, I will reschedule and get them back on. But fingers crossed, everything is going good so far. <clears throat> and, uh, and of course, we do have our first uh, guest, uh, Alan Greenstein uh, from Support Our Creative. If you haven't checked him out, do check him out. He is all about supporting creative people. What's up, Alan? Um, so, you know, you're a rising comedian. What, what made you decide to just kind of jump into the whole comedy business? So I've been doing stand-up comedy for about 12 years now. I was in the uh, I was in the car business for ten years and really hated the car business, hated life. I don't like selling and I don't like you know selling cars. I just kind of did it out of necessity. It was a job. Right. I had kids, I had a wife, so just kind of jumped into it. And I've ever since I was a kid, I've had you know dealt with anxiety, social anxiety, panic attacks, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. I, I dealt with that over my life, and I always use humor as my medicine. I never medicated really. I never really took anything to help me with it. So humor became my medicine, my drug, whatever you want to call it, helped me cope with these things. And that developed into this humor I got. And when I was in the car business, I would use that because I was just miserable being there. I, I didn't want to, I hated dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis like that. And so uh, I would use humor and it would kind of have all the other people, those salespeople would always tell me, you know, you should be a comedian, you should, you know, be in stand-up. And so finally, after, you know, months of hearing that, I just uh, went to an open mic night in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and had a really good first open mic, and kind of just went from there. Still get terrified every time I do it. I'm still, it still feels like the first time, every time you go on stage, it's terrifying. Like, that right. doesn't go away. It, it, you get you deal with it better, but it's always scary. It never goes away. Right. Yeah. You know, I can imagine, you know, especially with comedy, you know, because comedy is probably one of the, the toughest business to get into. Right. Uh, if you're not funny, they'll let you know. Oh, quickly. Yeah, quickly. You got seconds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when you started out in comedy and you said you started out in North Carolina, what, what would the... Uh, what was the whole setting on your your first, uh, not your open mic night, but when you were actually first, you know, uh, on a docket? What was that first night like for you? As far as like the whole atmosphere, the whole night, it was. Uh, we went out. Me and my wife, we went out to eat before, and I was just 
my nerves were so like I have social anxiety. So like mm-hmm. I don't even like to talk to the woman at like the grocery store when I'm checking out my groceries. Like if she asks me how's my day, I'm just like frazzled and I I can't talk. I'm just like ah, you know. Yeah. So that makes me nervous. So getting in front of a bunch of strangers and you have like I said seconds to like like comedy, like you said, is such a scary art form because. You don't get it. You don't get to hide behind a guitar. You don't get to sing. You don't have a band. You don't have a group. Like you literally have seconds to win these people over, and you've got to have something that comes out of your mouth that kind of hits on everybody. And it doesn't always work every night. You have off nights. That's normal. It happens. Um, but when it hits and when it does, it's amazing. But that first night, I was just my nerves were through the roof. I was terrified, and and to just finally drag myself up there, and uh, you know, I had to support my wife and friends that were kind of like you know nudging me along but every moment up to the moment they called my name i wanted to back out like i wanted to leave and right. um, it just it's terrifying but it was yeah that was it was just nerves but also those nerves kind of like if you get used to them they they kind of help your character they help that right. adrenaline you get from your nerves kind of gives you that that extra edge that i think helps mold that character you bring out on stage right now, when you do your comedy, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of comedy. I mean, I have such a ridiculous amount of, you know, comedy movies and videos and stand up. I have a playlist on my YouTube that I watch. All, it, it, it's all over. Right. And I noticed that there's different types of comedians. You have comedians that, you know, they have a gimmick. You know, they usually have a costume or they have a puppet. You know, they have something besides themselves. Right. Um, and it's like a fake, I don't want to say a fake persona, but it's, not, it's an alter ego. Right, right. Uh, then you have uh, those who are just casual and they're, they're themselves, you know, and their whole comedy is it's all, you know, rooted in their own life experience. Have you ever thought about doing an alter ego or are you, do you just want to stay Dewey Sean the way you are? Okay, we have a little bit of a freeze here. So we'll give it a second. Hopefully, it'll clear up. All right. I I think I'm still alive. I'm going to go over here and check. Uh, again, you know, this is a little bit of a technical difficulty that I was worried about having. Um Now, okay, here we go. Here we go. We got them back here. Let me get them back on the screen. All right, there we go. Hey, we're back. That's those storms. Yeah, I like it. You know, there's a big uh, swath of storm between Minnesota and several states south of me. And I did a uh, speed check on my internet, so I know the issue isn't on my end, and that's why I said earlier I mentioned there might be something in between Minnesota and Florida that's having a problem. That's got to be. Um, but yeah, what all did you? What was the last thing you uh, caught me asking? Uh, you're talking about like uh, comedians and their gimmicks. Yeah. Okay. So some comedians have gimmick, and then some comedians are. They're just as they are. Have you ever thought about uh, having a gimmick or do you just want to stay the way you are, Dewey Sean? So that's kind of something that me and a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of people that are close to me in the circle of of people I get a lot of advice from. um, Mm -hmm. I've always like try to like I knew I had to have some type of you got to have some type of gimmick, some type of character like Sam Kennison was my favorite comedian. He had the the screaming Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he had the background in uh, you know church and he was a preacher and he had that that gimmick with him and I always knew I had to have something you got to have something to make you kind of stand out like just being funny on its own merit doesn't always get you there there's a lot of funny people that aren't on TV and stuff and I knew I wanted to you know do it to my best ability so I've always tried to find who am I like I don't know my character but it's it's slowly starting to build up and I'm starting to kind of see I, I have this character that is more or less like really me in real life is kind of like uh, somebody that's just very real and raw, like 
broke kind of not like really broke, but like that, you know, I wear my black beanie and I have that style of, I mean, I talk about family. I talk about kids. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of where this character is going. It's, it's starting to develop. I'm starting to see it. Um, I don't think it's definitely fully there yet, but it's, I'm seeing it grow and it's pretty exciting to watch. Right. Casey Diaz, my brother. That's right. <laughs> He's part of the circle right there. That's, that's, that's a big piece of the circle right there is Jason Diaz, his family. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned Sam Kinnison being one of your favorite. Um, right. uh, yeah, I do have a router and, and everything seemed to be working on my end. I think it's something in between. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned Sam Kinnison. So my next question would be, who are some of the, give me five comedians that you looked up to and kind of, you know, modeled some of your formulas after. All right. So how that breaks down is I actually have like, that's a mixture of like improv groups and other characters. So mm -hmm. like it comes down from the kids in the hall, which was a big improv group out of Canada. Um, that's a big comedy influence for like, as far as how I make my reels and my skits and videos is a lot based on the kids in the hall. And then Rowan Atkinson, who's Mr. Bean, He's a yep. big one. Um, he's kind of like the Charlie Chaplin of our generation. Um, mm -hmm. Then I would say next would probably go into uh, Paul Rubens is probably my biggest Pee Wee Herman. Uh, mm -hmm. Clearly grew up in the 80s. That's He's an icon. And as a comedian, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he held the biggest influence on me as far as somebody on TV as a kid. So I definitely model myself because he was 40, you know, 30s, late 30s, 40s, playing a big kid. And I like to think of myself as the same way. Oh, yeah. And, uh Jim Varney, of course, who played Ernest. That was that was the next big one. And then uh, Sam Kinison, obviously, would uh, round out my my top five comedic influences. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, Pee Wee Herman. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that um, I always thought was funny about Pee Wee Herman, you know, like I said, he was just a big kid. Uh, yeah, and for me, you know that playhouse. I mean, I, I don't think I ever met a kid my age or our age back then who didn't want to have a house like that. Yeah, oh, I still do. <laughs> so, if if you had a chance to talk to any comedian who is now deceased, um. <laughs> Which one would you really want to talk to? I mean, I have to. I talk about this with my dad all the time. Sam Kennison. I would love to know Sam Kennison's take on the world today. Like he, how he saw it thirty years ago when he died was mm -hmm. insane, and to see where the world is now and and what Sam would have to say about it. Uh, people loved him. People hated him. But I think as far as a, a comedian, he was. I mean, he was a lightning bolt. So. I would love to right. hear what he had to say. I would love to get his take on, you know, how the world, I think he would have matured and it definitely had a different view on life and, and people and everything in general. Um, he obviously has some demons and stuff that bothered him, but I feel like in the end he was getting his uh, life right. And uh, yeah. I would love to just see what he has to say about it now. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Sam Kinnison, the, the bits he did on Saturday night live, Saturday night live, um, when he did uh, the the one clip of the teacher on the Carol Burnett show back in the oh yeah late twenties yeah. early eighties, um, and all the movies, I mean, good grief! There's no mistaking that long hair and that that gruff voice and that like you said that scream. Um. So, you you start your you start your comedy, and. Did you ever come across some heckler where you just like, you, 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 you know, you, um, you want to go off on them, but you, you keep yourself in check? So fortunately for me, I've never really had a bad, I mean, I've kind of almost wanted it to happen. So my comedy career really started in elementary school and through high school. So uh, right. I would always sit at the table and with the, you know, everybody that wanted to joke around, I never, I didn't really have a group. I didn't fit in uh, with anybody really growing up. And so I kind of just sat with the outcast and, and we would just joke each other and I would watch everybody kind of joke and, and, and have fun with each other. So I learned how 
to take comedy at, at the lunchroom table, basically. And that's where I learned it. So I was, I have very thick skin. So I'm always looking for someone to heckle me just because I think it would make for good comedy, not because I'm looking for the confrontation. I just think it would be, you know, fun. But I've never really came into a situation where somebody has ever gotten crazy. I see it all the time. It happens. These guys are yeah. really, comedians are very passionate and they can be emotional. And you see it all the time. These guys are like, you, you know, they think they're going to fight each other. But then you get outside and realize, they're comedians, like nobody can fight. So they get yeah. they can joke each other, maybe. So that's about as far as it usually goes. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I I have a friend of mine who is just starting in the comedy business, and fortunately he hasn't come across any major hecklers, but he I know for a fact he is not gonna handle hecklers well. Right. And with you, you know, having, you know, this much time as a comedian, what would be some of the advice you would offer anybody who might have this kind of issue? So as far as a heckler goes, generally most comedy clubs, when you go in and you're having an open mic or anything like that, usually mm -hmm. the host likes to give out what they call like, you know, house rules. And they'll let most of the time the audience know, uh, don't engage with the comedians unless they engage with you first. So nine right. times out of 10, if you as a comedian or, you know, you're up there on the mic and you say you look at somebody and you point out their shirt or their, you know, whatever they're doing, now you've opened the door. So you've opened the invitation to take it back. So that's when heckling usually starts. The other side is alcohol is involved generally. So you got somebody that's been oh, yeah. drinking and they now are suddenly they're funny in their mind. And that's mm -hmm. when you really get the worst heckler. So if you ever encounter that, the best thing to do is you can't ignore them because the heckler makes it about them. So it, mm -hmm. it takes the eye off of you as a comedian. So you just got to be ready. You got to be, you got to have that one person. You, you know, I scope out the entire crowd. When I get up there, I look at everybody. So my first right. thing is I want to know what everybody's doing, what everybody's wearing, how they're talking, how they're acting. Like I try to arm myself with visual knowledge as quick as possible, because I know that if somebody says something crazy, I'm ready to go because I don't want to lose my flow and give it to somebody in the audience, you know? So you just got to be always aware and always on your feet. Right. Uh, so uh, Neil is asking, uh, what about Scott River, uh, Rivenbank, uh, Rivenbark? Uh, have you ever heard of him? <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's my best friend. Uh yeah, Denzel. He's uh okay. yeah, he's he's uh mentally handicapped a little bit. Scott Rabbar is somebody I went to high school with. Okay. He's a, yeah, he's a he says stupid. <laughs> you gotta shoot, you just ban him. Ban that guy. <laughs> no, I love you, Denzel. Go back and watch go back and watch your Jason movies. <laughs> he's a cop during the day. Like he's one of those cops. Like he's like the cop on Family Matters, kind of like Carl okay. Winslow. Yep. Yeah, he yep. looks like Carl Winslow now. <laughs> so, you know, you say you you know you played at quite a few places. Have there has there ever been a place that you know you've gone there, you've done a show, and it wasn't that you did bad or that the audience was bad or anything, but you're just not sure you would ever want to go back. Oh, all the time. Okay. I mean, time, what are the yeah, situations? I'm not going to ask you to name name because I don't want to. You know, I don't want the establishment to have, you know, any kind of bad view of you. But what are some of the situations that would make that happen? That would make you not want to go back? Okay, we seem to have lost connection. Oh, yeah, you're back. You're back. So what what would some of the situation be that would make you not want to go back to a place? Um, man, Orlando. That's a hard that's a hard city to do comedy in. Orlando. I did an open mic there uh, a few years ago, and by the, there was like 30, 40 comedians that were in the list. So by the time I got up there, it was like two in the morning. Everybody was gone, and it was just a really weird crowd, and nobody wanted to hear my jokes, and it was just. It wasn't really fun, and that was one of those nights. That's a two-hour drive home for me, 
So I get home like mm. four in the morning, did four or five minutes of bad comedy. And then you really yeah. sit there and you're like, do I want to keep doing this? But that's part of the whole gig is it's like anything like wrestling or like being an actor or whatever. You got to pay your dues. And I always say mm. that's part of the biography. That's part of the book. You got to have those hard moments. You got to get your face drug in the mud as much as possible. That's the only way right. you're going to appreciate success is, right. is to get your face drugged in the mud. So I, I don't mind it. You know, it's a uh, part of it. You're always going to get discouraged. You're always going to have those bad days, but that's, that's part of it. That's part of it. Right. Now, um, here we go. Uh, what are, uh, what are your views on splinter? Ninja Turtles. That's the, that's, the, that's the number one rat right there. That's the, that's the rat. That's my brother right there. Yeah, we are uh, big TMNT fans. We love Turtles. That's what we talk about. Stuff like that, man. The 80s. That's my big influence is uh, is connecting with people like Jason Diaz. And, and we all find common ground in this stuff. Like the, the things we grew up with that most people forgot about. Like I have this giant room here full of like 80s toys and video games and right. and. I don't even get to enjoy it. I just walk in here for a little dose of dopamine. And, and, but it's cool getting to talk to everybody. We all remember these things, but we get caught up in life. And that's kind of what I try to bring into my comedy is bringing those influences of the back in the day, the eighties, the nineties, and mm -hmm. try to forget so much. Everybody's kind of discouraged, depressed, everybody's stressed out. And I think it's good for us to talk about those things uh, like the Ninja Turtles or stuff like that, that bring back those, uh, memories, man. That's what keeps us grounded. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, uh, I know that a lot of comedians tend to have, you know, you know, like you said, you have a core group of uh, comedians or friends that you, uh, you you socialize with. Do you ever have times where you go out, you know, whether you have a drink or where you go to a restaurant, and you just start bouncing material off of each other to see what works and what doesn't? Um, you know, I do have some people that, um, uh, I talk to and I will, the weird thing with me is like, I'll come up with a new joke or something like that. And my wife or my friends know, I really won't go over it with them because if I'm telling you the joke, if I'm just saying it, that's, that's 50% of the joke. The other 50% is me acting it out. My emotions, my facial expressions, the movements right. I'm doing. So it really, if you got to be careful when you go over jokes with people, because a lot of times if I'm telling you a joke that I have an idea of, that's all it is. It's just the idea. I know in my head how I'm going to act it out. But if you're right. saying that joke to somebody and they give you a look like, I don't know, that's not really funny or whatever. It just killed the joke. So I won't right. really go over a lot with anybody. Like I don't talk to many people about what jokes I got in my head. 90% of the time when I go on stage, I don't really have a true set list. I've learned that when you go up there with your, your set list, that it kind of can make you feel canned, almost like a salesperson. Like you walk into, right. you know, and they're like, Hey, welcome to Best Buy. You know, what kind of, so I try to be free flowing. It's, it's a better experience for the audience. And they pick that up. They pick up on right. whether you're being natural, you're being canned. So I don't really discuss a lot of my jokes with people. I kind of just, keep that to myself. I, like I said, I don't even know most of the time until I get on stage what I'm going to talk about. Right. Well, so, okay. So I know a lot of times people, you know, they, you have a set time and if you go, uh, in a free flow mindset, how do you kind of check yourself as far as, you know, how much time you, you've used up? Right. You know, I mean, I, I, I know um, here in Minnesota, uh, an open mic night, uh, you know, for a complete amateur, it's usually about two minutes. Right. Is, is that a time frame you'd be able to work with, or would you need more time? Generally, uh, if it's a big room, they will t cut it down to like two to three minutes, which really only gives you enough time together to like maybe get one joke out. Uh, right. Down here, it's usually about five minutes. Um, there is some places that um, are letting, like, say somebody that's more seasoned, they'll give them like 10 minutes versus a newcomer. Mm -hmm. They might say, hey, look, you get three minutes. 
Uh, it's at the club owner's discretion usually how they do that. But uh, for me, I usually like to flirt in that 20 to 30 minute time frame. It just depends on how the show's going. I've done right. you know, close to an hour before. Um, it's It really is. You just surprise yourself sometimes. Uh, those nights when the audience is perfect and you're hitting and it's just you can just take what you thought was going to be a 10 minute set. And if it's good, nobody stops it. They just let it keep going because right. it's good. And you turn yeah. into 25, 30, 40 minutes or whatnot. Right. Now, is there a, gen uh, a general demographic that you like to perform for? I mean, I shouldn't say demographic. Is there a certain age group that you find yourself more successful with? You know what? Old people don't get me. Like, I really like, there's a lot of old people in Florida, and they don't get me. Like, I try. Right. Somebody in Florida, a lot of us comedians will joke about it because we'll try to write jokes that reflect old people a little more. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, like, they either get insulted or they don't get it. So, you know, like, a lot of times I'll try to talk about maybe drug commercials, like side effects. Like, if you say side okay. effects, they seem to, like, they pick up on that. But old people are just... If you get them going, like they're they can be fun, but they're just really they like to watch other people their age. I think they have a big thing with watching their peers because they can relate right. to that. So when I get it, you're older and you don't want to see some younger guy up there talking, and, and it just it's weird. But uh, I have had fun with with older crowds, but I don't really care for doing you know older shows. They're just right, right. The stuff I get like I can't go up there and talk about like you know, TikTok or something. They're not, they're clueless on that. Yeah, you say TikTok and they're all looking at their watches like, well, huh? Yeah, they're like, oh, it's the sound effects. <laughs> you know, so it's totally confusing to them. You can lose them really quick. Yeah. So when you start, you, you get to a, you get to a bar, you get to a venue, whatever, and uh, you're about to go on, how do you get yourself in the right headset in your mind? How do you get yourself right for the show? I mean, do you, do you have a mantra that you say to yourself? Do you, you know, have a quote that you say? So a lot of people to get on stage, a lot of comedians to get on stage, um, everybody's scared. Like, nobody's just, like, mm. super brave and just gets up there and they're just like, if they are, they're lying. Everybody's got a level of fear getting on there. So some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to, you know, whatever it may be. And the biggest thing I use is the fear. So, like, the fear is what I've learned is what edges me out. Um, being scared is something I've just dealt with my entire life. And if you learn how to, like, harness fear, because so many people run from fear, it's, mm -hmm. like, a natural thing to do is to run from it or, or you know, cover it up. And when you right. actually face fear and just kind of run into it, it's empowering. And to go on stage and carry that fear up there and you're completely – clear-minded you're level-headed there's nothing inebriating you at all that's what that's what edges me off so basically i just use that fear because like i said it's till your heart's beating out of your chest like you know that oh, you're yeah. up next and you're just like you're trying to control your breathing and and something happens when you grab the mic like the second you grab the mic it's like your heart slows back down and i don't know how it happens it just happens it's like it's just all is calm at that moment. And then when you put the mic up and get off stage, your heart's beating faster than it was before you went on. So it's right. a really good rush. So I, I know, you know, you and I have talked uh day before yesterday, yesterday, I think, no, the day before yesterday. You know, yeah. And I told people that I don't like making this a political show, but I do have a curiosity. Um, right. With the way the current political environment is, has that affected your comedy? Um, you know, it's it's smart to find like if you look at Saturday Night Live over the years, Saturday Night Live built mm. their show off of presidents, off of the yeah. presidents at the time. So they used political humor. And at one time it was good because they didn't separate or divide anybody. They equally picked on whoever it was or whatnot going on at that time. So that was always cool. Now it's a lot different. Now it's, you know, people are a lot more um, passionate, I could say, or are easily or more so offended about right. certain things. So I stay like far away from it. I don't really ever get into politics. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, nobody is helping me take care of my family as far as directly, as far as a president, Republican, Democrat, right. middle, whatever. 
nobody's directly affected me. At the end of the day, I'm concerned with what's going on in my circle. And outside mm-hmm. of that, I don't like to talk about it now. If it gets brought up, I will find a smart way. And like I said, if it's going to be, you got to find a way to make it smart and funny. If it's not funny, it's going to offend somebody. If you can find a way to right. make it fun and smart, then it, it can make everybody happy. So if I do jokes that might be a little more, I guess, topical or whatnot, I make sure it's smart and funny. I find right. a way, formula to make it where it's not offensive, but at the same time, it's funny. And that's the right. formula. I see too many guys now, and they just go right out and crack the bat on, you know, this or that, and you just lost half the crowd. Either right. way you look, you're going to lose half the crowd, and you don't want to do that. You want to try to bring everybody together, especially in comedy. Comedy's mm-hmm. not meant to divide. Comedy's meant to, you know, help people cope with life. And you don't want to, like, this isn't music. You don't want to, you know, do that. You want to try to make everybody who's listening happy. You want to try at least. Right. Yeah. Everybody needs to have a good time and not have to worry about, you know, if you're going to have to square up on somebody. Right. Exactly. We're humor doctors. That's what we're yeah. here. We're here. <laughs> Dope up people with humor. Right. Now, uh, kind of along the similar lines, have you ever uh, come across a situation where you were facing uh, cancel culture? Well, it's funny. I do have a joke where I basically start off with, you know, you can't cancel me because I'm broke. You know, so that's <laughs> the biggest thing. Like, you know, cancel culture, it seems like it only attacks if you're famous or, or rich. So right. do... Like I'll open with that sometimes and let them know, you know, hey, it's you can't cancel me. I'm I'm broke, so it's not something you worry about. Definitely on if you're in the comedy clubs, if you're in the open mic clubs, and you're seeing like real comedy that's not on TV, that's not on the internet, you will be blown away with the stuff people talk about. Like you think uh, uh, cancel culture would exist in comedy clubs, but it definitely doesn't. It's wide open. Nothing's off the table. Everything's on the table. You will go in there and be like, I can't believe somebody just said that. They just throw it all out there, which is free speech. It's comedy. It's cool that they're doing that. I'm glad to see that, honestly. Uh, but obviously, once you get it on TV or anywhere else, that's where you know it can turn into a, a bigger deal. But just low-key, it's nobody really cares. It's just comedy. Right. No, I, I remember uh, when COVID-19 first hit, everything shut down. People were not going out. Venues were being cut down. And I remember reading reading quite a few articles about comedy venue. Uh, a good number of them actually ended up going out of business. Yep. And how, how did that affect you? So I did, my last joke before COVID was, in Jacksonville, Florida, I was uh, co-headlining a show downtown Jacksonville, and COVID had not come to America yet, but at that time, this was late December 2019, they mm-hmm. had talked about somebody had flew to America that they thought might have been exposed to COVID, and that was the first real case in America, and I had talked about that night about you know a joke of it coming into America. Well, like the next week is when it really started changing. And after that, for the next year and a half, two years, the world shut down. And mm-hmm. I was pretty much like, I don't know if I'm going to do comedy again. I had, I've had, i had periods where I don't love comedy. I, I've realized that uh, there's some things on TV. There's some people I see. I just don't like, you know, they're con- I feel like it's over almost an oversaturated market. And that's not a bad thing. It's good people are doing it. I just don't mm-hmm. want to be part of that same crowd. I felt like if I was going to do it, I needed to be different or at least be true to myself. And so I took that time period during COVID and I just stopped for like probably a good two and a half, three years. And people were still doing, started doing comedy again. And I just, I was just kind of like not really feeling it. And then finally I just slowly got back into it. And I got a lot of family and friends and people, my wife, everybody's kind of pushing me to, to go for it. I mean, you know, so yeah, that's now change it. So, I mean, what aside from friends and family, what was one of the other deciding factors that made you decide? You know what? I got to get back and I got to try again. Therapy, like I feel like it's big yeah. therapy for me. Like uh, it's something like I don't take. Thank God, I don't take any medicine. I don't take anything for. for you know, like I said earlier, I, I deal with anxiety. I've dealt with anxiety mm-hmm. since I was eight years old, like severe anxiety. And so 
I was on medicine for several years of my life and I realized I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to you know, rely on something like that for the rest of my life. So uh, humor, humor and, and going on stage, those things have been a huge part of me getting that mental anguish out and uh, as an outlet for me. All right. I have to address this. Thundercat was probably like my second or third all-time favorite cartoon growing up. Yes. That's, <laughs> that is you know, the show right there, man. That yeah, is I, the show. I remember as a kid, like within minutes after Thundercat was on, you see like 10 of us outside trying to do Thundercat. The only problem was half the time we were all arguing who the hell was going to be Lionel. Everybody's like, I want to be Lino. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. I still do that now. I want to be Lino. That's awesome. That's so true. Nobody wanted to be the bald dude. Yeah, Panthro. Yeah. That's right, Panthro. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I actually remember all the names Lino, Tiger, uh, Chitara. Chitara, Chitara. Chitara, yeah. Uh, Kit and Cat. Uh, even that, that weird cat, Snarf. Snarf, that's yeah. Snarf, snarf. Um, but yeah. So uh, back to the whole, uh, and of course, He Man. Mm. He Man, see? Uh, I don't know. I, my my issue with He Man, even back then, I thought it was a little weird for some muscle bound dude to have that haircut and run around with a fuzzy loincloth. Was a nice, yeah. That was a, yeah. That was a really <laughs> interesting hair choice for him. I, I definitely, it was like, it wasn't long. It wasn't short. It's like a bowl cut. He okay. had the first like, real bowl cut. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. It, and the only thing yeah. I even liked about that was Castle Grayskull and uh, Battle Cat. Uh, Skeletor was a great villain. Oh yeah, Skeletor he was. Fantastic. He made that show. Nobody wanted to watch He Man. They wanted to see Skeletor. He was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, so COVID hit, you're, you're down for a couple of years and you decide to come back. When you, when you got, when you get onto the stage for the first time after COVID, right? did you ever think that you would, you know, be able to continue it? Or did you have doubt that, you know, like, you know, COVID really messed everything up. I don't know if I can do this. Did you ever have those times? I didn't need COVID as far as those doubts. I had those doubts before COVID. Like, mm. uh, COVID definitely, like, I saw, the only thing I saw with COVID was an opportunity because at that point, like, everybody stopped doing comedy. There was nobody, like, Kevin Hart, nobody was touring. And I was like, man, this would be a great opportunity to, like, kind of rise back up in the comedy rankings and really you know, take a stance, but I was just still not in love with it. It's one of those things like, um, you got, I got a lot of artists like you talk to. I know a lot of people that are amazing musicians and they just, they can play mm -hmm. anything they can sing anything they can write. And it's like, they're not driven to do that. You gotta, just because you're good at something, it doesn't naturally just mean you want to chase it and, you know, follow it. My daughter's an amazing artist and she's not necessarily like wants to be an artist when she grows up. So it's one of those things you got to like, you got to find your love for it. You got to find the passion for it. And then your talent and everything meets it. And so like after COVID, I was kind of like, it seemed like it was an explosion of comedians. Like, like everywhere you go, there was like, you know, there's right. a show with 10 random people that they're doing a comedy show. And then another comedy show. And there's like 10 other random people. It's like, wow, there's a lot of comedians now. And like I said, that's great. People are getting out there, but it just, the market felt oversaturated. It didn't feel super cool to me anymore. Back when I started even to do it, it was, you know, still a little, you know, weird. It was like not a lot of people doing it. It's like all of a sudden more people are doing it with the, the rise of TikTok, the rise of the internet. People are starting to, I guess, feel more adventurous or whatever it is or getting uh, more right. confident and comfortable. But uh, it just felt like I wasn't in love with it anymore. And it's been one of those things I've literally been dragging myself to go do these open mics and comedy shows. But as I've done that, and I was hoping this would be the case, I have found my love for it again. Like I had when I first started doing it right. and that's come back. And I knew if the passion would come back, everything else would work out. I knew that doors would open up and bigger opportunities would come up. I just had to fall in love with it. And so I've had 
you know, a lot of people that have been extremely supportive and, and helped push me. And that's definitely helped because there was times I felt like in my own head, I was the only one that was, you know, are you crazy? Are you really trying to do this? You know, so it right. helps to see people, and especially people you've never met or people, you know, uh, just comments and stuff. It's just really cool to get those things. Those really push you in, into a positive direction. Yeah. You know, and, and speaking of the whole uh, internet, the whole TikTok and YouTube thing, I mean, even in the early 2000s when all this really started taking off, I honestly did not really expect that the social media phenomenon would hit the level that it has. You know, and like you said, everybody has a TikTok page. Everybody has a YouTube channel. Everybody has their own official Facebook page. And when you started to, you know, expand more into your comedy and you started lo looking at TikTok and YouTube and all that, did you ever think that this stuff, the, the whole social media would have, would ever really help your career? So I knew it was a great tool, but like you said, everybody's using it. Everybody's doing it. So mm -hmm. like if you said today you wanted to start a YouTube channel and you just wanted to, you could like spend all night, make the greatest video. It'd be great production, funny, whatever it would be. And you can stick it on YouTube and, you know, next week you can look at it and they'll have one view. So the problem is yeah. it's, a, it's a small highway congested with vehicles. Like it's just tons of traffic. And it's, it's nothing, I always tell people, it's not you, it's not the person, it's just nobody knows to see you because it's so many vehicles on the highway. So right. I always look for this road over here that might not have as many people traveling on it. So that's mm -hmm. why I kind of got, compared to YouTube, TikTok, the other bigger, Instagram, the bigger platforms, Facebook of all places, uh, their Reels program was not nearly as big and well-known as like YouTube and TikTok. So I really started focusing on that because not a lot of people were over there on Facebook focusing on that. They were focusing on the other big three. And right. doing that, I got monetized. And I had one video last year that had like two and a half million views. And, and that kind of got me going. And so that was, I realized at that point, this could be a really big tool to boost my stand-up career because I wanted to have something, not just being like stand-up comedian, I wanted to have something if somebody searched me up on social media, they could go right. to my page and say, wow, this guy's doing other things. This guy's got videos. He's actually passionate. He's making and doing other things. And I, that was important to me. I didn't want somebody to go to my Facebook page and I got a couple of photos of me in a bar with a mic and that, right. was, that was it. I wanted somebody to go there and say, oh, this dude's putting in work. I feel like it's super important. So, so yeah, social media definitely is a great tool if you use it properly, but utilize it. You got to really utilize every button, every feature, everything. Um, you got to feed it. You got to comment. You, the algorithm's so weird. Like nobody really knows what this whole algorithm thing is. It's just, it's there and we don't know what it is, but it's, right. it dictates everything in this. So you just got to keep feeding it. And eventually if you keep feeding it, you'll just get caught in it. And that's how it works. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I know what algorithms are, but when it comes to like YouTube and Facebook, I'm not even sure algorithm is the right word to describe the mechanic of how they, you know, how you get viewed or how you get found by other people. You know, hashtags I get, you know, uh, uh, the hashtags get overused. Like I don't think they do anything. Yeah, for sure. Uh, keyword. You know, things that show up on a Google search for or search engine optimization that I get. But this algorithm thing, it it frustrates me because, you know, you, you spend all the time, you learn the, okay, I know what this algorithm does. I know how to use it. You get to use it for like what, a couple of days and all of a sudden, now it's a different algorithm. And it just, uh, it moves. It's, it's like a living creature. Yeah. And, and I totally understand what you're saying about utilizing, you know, YouTube and Facebook. Um, a good analogy that I, you know, I try to think of when learning about this is you got to learn how to use the tool because a ratchet is not a hammer. Exactly. You know, so. Exactly, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Now, say somebody comes up, you know, you've you, you reached the, the pinnacle of your career. You know, you, you're, you're ready to slow down. You're ready to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Somebody comes up to you and ask, 
how to get started. What are what are the five key things that you would tell them? The five things that okay, if you're gonna do this, these are the five things you want to think about or follow or do. So I would definitely say the first thing is stay humble, be humble. So like I the number one key, and I think that's a forgotten art, is the number one key to success is is humility. And what I mean by that is like to never be too big to think you can't just die tomorrow or you're just invincible to anything. It's like humility is just completely swept under the rug with, you know, you see it all the time. People like, uh, you know, arrogance isn't a bad thing, but at the same time, it can be a, a deadly thing. So it's like humility keeps you grounded. It keeps you like you see people win the lottery and then they're they're broke in two years. It's like mm, you don't yeah. you don't know how to handle success almost. So humility is important to like that's my number one thing is just stay humble. Um, obviously, number two is you got to just stay focused. I mean, you got to to put in work. Like it's this these videos when I first started making Facebook Reels for I would say ninety days straight, I made a video every day. If I was sick, if I was working, if I was busy, no matter what I did, I made a video every day. I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody told me to do that. I just right. knew that it was important to focus on work and do that and just keep putting them out there. And I figured eventually it couldn't hurt. So I just made sure I was doing that every single day. I was just putting stuff out there. So focus work. Um, three is like, you know, God, family. I mean, that's obviously that's number one for me, but like God, family, everything, keep those. That's, that's where success comes from regardless. And if you don't have family and stuff, you know, obviously, um, that's, that's, I'm fortunate to have uh, amazing family, uh, wife, kids, parents, sister, right. uh, my brothers, everything. So I got, you know, uh, a great family. That's a, a huge advantage I have that unfortunately some people don't have that. And in their own way, not having that might sharpen their, their tools a little differently and make them turn into the person they could be. So, uh, but obviously the next big one is, uh, I'm just an advocate to stay clear minded. I don't, and I'm not saying anything bad against anybody that does. I've done those things, but like, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do anything. I, I, I'm on toothpicks. Like this is uh, this, I, mm -hmm. I smoked for years and toothpicks are how I quit. So this is my only advice. I'm up to, I'm up to one pack of toothpicks a year. So it's a lot cheaper and everything, but, but that's, I'm, I keep my, I try to keep everything as clear minded and as level headed as possible um, for that. And, and just because, like I said earlier, the fear, if you learn how to, to deal with it and face it, it can really be a powerful tool. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, something a lot of people just, it's unfortunate, but they don't know how to handle the fear. I didn't know how to handle it for a lot of years. And I still, I'm always a scared person of anything, you know, it's life in general is scary, but you know, that's a big thing for me. So, um, but the next big thing, I would say, uh, I guess I'm on five is have fun is uh, to mm -hmm. just not take yourself so seriously. And with what I do, it's, I, like I said, I'm a big kid. I legitimately do not feel like I'm 41 years old. I still talk about like 1989, like it was last week. I'm right. not, you're not going to catch me in a suit. You're not going to ever see me. Like when somebody calls me, sir, I literally feel weird by that. Oh, yeah. I like I'm, you know, 21 years old. Um, I mm -hmm. watch cartoons. I like to eat cereal Saturday mornings. I like to, you know, watch Thundercats, Ninja Turtles and, and things like that. If you outgrow your mind, you lose something. And, and holding on to that inner kid is a big deal. And I mean, everybody drops it and forgets it. And that's something I have just always held on to. I remember that same kid that was terrified at eight years old. And I feel like I'm doing this right now for that kid. So, right. so even though it was me, I'm doing it for that terrified eight-year-old kid. And I'm hoping one day that maybe something I do can be an example or somebody else, my story could help somebody else. That's mm -hmm. super huge to me. I want to be a positive influence to other people. And uh, that's the biggest thing is just, like I said, that's my, my major five things. I do those things every day. Right. Now, I, I, you, one thing I, I have to agree with the whole idea of being humble because, you know, I know a lot of people that are they're arrogant. And my wife, she is a sous chef and she is a phenomenal chef. Um, it's not her fault that I'm heavy, but she did not help. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and her and I have always had the same thing because we met, you know, her and I worked together in restaurant, uh, for a little more than half of our marriage. And we've always come across those cooks that, you know, they, they talk a big game. 
Right. And we always say, you can talk the big game all you want, but you better have the skill to back it up. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, and I see that in comedy field. I, I see people, you know, they tell a joke and nobody really laughs. And then you see them get upset and it's like, okay, that's funny. Or, no, it's not. Right. Um, so, so, you know, we have a question here. Uh, kind of wanted to read why I kind of segued into that. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? So I legitimately am, I am the most positive person I know. And I don't know if that's a coping mechanism I've had from just how I grew up, but I feel like my real five-year plan is I, I, I've seen since I was a kid, I thought I was going to be on TV at some point, uh, successful in that department. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. chasing. I'm not really chasing. I'm not chasing the fame. I'm not chasing the money. I'm not chasing any of those things. Don't motivate me. I legitimately feel like if I could ever make it as a comedian and if I could ever make an income and provide for my family and provide a comfortable life for my family, then even if I didn't want to do it, I should do it for their sake. Most importantly, like it's not about at that right. point, it's not about how comfortable I am. It's about them. And I feel like it'd be selfish not to do it. So part of being humble right. is I've been the most, I've been my most biggest critic for years and said, I don't know if I can, you know, am I really that funny? Yada, yada. But I feel like over time, I finally get to that point where I see the vision I maybe saw when I was younger. And I feel like in the next five years, if I keep doing what I'm doing right now, I feel like the formula is working. I'm seeing things grow and I'm seeing things change and I'm, I'm getting feedback from people. And I'm, I just feel like something changing. I could just send something. So I think in five years, I legitimately feel like um, I'll, I'll be, you know, whether it be on TV or, or something here, I, I just know something like that's going to happen. I'm just, I'm positive right. as long as I keep pushing forward, as long as I don't stop, as long as I don't quit, I keep doing things that eventually right. those doors will continue to open up. And uh, like I said, staying humble, I think staying humble will get me to that goal in the next five years. So, right. so yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. That's hopefully where I see myself. Right. Now I also have to ask you, you said you have kids, right? Three daughters. How big of an influence are they on some of your material? They're, my, they're like my best friends. They're they're like, uh, so the cool thing is with my comedy, I don't like to call myself a clean comic. I don't like that term to say I'm a clean comedian. Like, I think that's kind of corny in its own sense. Like, not, not disparaging a, a clean comic. I'm not saying that. But like, for me, I kind of have this more urban style. I definitely have this. Uh, right. I'm heavily influenced uh, uh, in that way. So. I have a different style that I don't think I've ever seen before, which is part of the character that I feel like I'm developing, but I wanted to do comedy that wasn't necessarily either dirty or vulgar or things because mostly I wanted my wife, my kids to be able to watch it and view it without me saying, Oh, don't watch this part. Cause when I first started right. doing comedy years ago, I was full on unfiltered and my kids couldn't watch that. And you know, my parents definitely couldn't watch it. So I didn't want to have to be like, hey, you can't see this part. So it's fantastic to do a set and put it on YouTube or whatever. And then I can go to my kids and they can watch the entire set. And if my kids laugh, that's the only validation I ever need as far as if my joke was funny. I don't care right. if anybody else liked it or thought it wasn't funny. If I can make one of those three girls or all three of them laugh, that's like absolutely my biggest high. That's my biggest demographic is them. Um, right. And and, and then my wife, my parents, if they get it, they like it. That's 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 heavy to me. That's huge. So my daughters are extremely huge influence. I write my jokes based on whether or not I think they would think it's funny. And usually if they think it's funny, an adult will think it's funny because right. they don't kids now are just like they don't, you know, nothing's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, growing up, my mom you know, she, she had no problem with me watching, you know, sci-fi movies, action movies, whatever, you know, thematically intense or not. Uh, the one thing I hated is she would get me all hyped up. You know, this was back in the day when you could rent a VCR player and rent a v, uh, VCR tape, you know. Um, and growing up, every Saturday, my mom would go up to the video store, we'd rent a VCR player, we'd rent a movie, and she'd tell me, about the, oh, you're going to love this movie, it's got lasers, it's got sci-fi, 
And then right. like halfway through, we get to a certain scene and she <laughs> covers up my eyes. It's like, why are we watching this movie if you're going to cover up my eyes? That's a great point. That's a great memory. We've all been there. We've all had the mom cover the mm-hmm. eyes up. That's fantastic. That's so true. I never even thought about that again. Yeah. You know, or sometimes uh, we, uh, and, and I'm not trying to stir up any trouble here uh, simply because he's been canceled. Uh, but I, I grew up with stand up, you know, like Sam Kinnison, but also Bill Cosby. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Bill Cosby is one of the, regardless, yeah. Bill Cosby is one of the top comedians of all time. He is, yeah. regardless of, you know, what he did in, in, in his personal life, comedian wise, mm-hmm. he's he's on Mount Rushmore of comedy. Yeah. And there was one part I remember clearly. Uh, we were watching Bill Cosby himself, and he was talking a bit about drugs. And, you know, I remember asking my mom and about, well, what's this? And uh, what does this word mean? What's he talking about? And she's like, ignore it. That confused me for years. And finally, you know, get a little older. I start to learn a little bit more about this stuff. I thought that stuff was hysterical. And now that I'm almost 50, I'm like, I can kind of see why my mom just kind of, you know, wanted to fast forward that part. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great that you uh, keep your material, you know, like you say, not clean, but just, you know, in the gaming industry, E for everybody. Exactly. It opens more doors. It just really opens up a lot of possibilities for you. And, um, it's just, it's the, also the challenge. It's, uh, you know, it's easy to just drop in a, you know, whatever a word or talk about a certain subject. And I could do those things, but it's definitely a more challenge to go up there, to be sober, to not cuss, to just completely face your fear. I don't want to come off and sound like it's some kind of goody goody thing. I, is ne- I've, I was the person, I, I mean, I have got skeletons in my closet. I was, you know, uh, definitely, mm-hmm. uh, in that talk, I, I would talk about vulgar things, dirty, and it was just I chose a style based on how I wanted my kids to remember me one day. That was the most important thing. I always look about or think about when I when I uh, one day, hopefully years from now, I'm gone. I want my kids to be able to look and, and be proud of what I did, and not have to hide something from their kids. I wanted to be a uh, you know. Yeah. I decided to change me, and it's up for everybody to you know however they feel they need to be. That was just my personal. Uh, choice to to go that route, and um, I'm glad I did. Yeah, you don't want to have your uh, your daughters, you know, get asked that question. What's Grandpa mean when he says this? And you know, your daughter be like, Grandpa oh, see now, ignore it. You know. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was losing it. <laughs> I was losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think this question was already kind of answered, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, this person is asking, who was your biggest critic? My biggest critic is my wife. And my best friend Denzel, they absolutely know me probably better than anyone as far as personal. And they hate, like, I won't say hate, but they will, like, be the first ones to say that wasn't funny or that wasn't this. And it's weird because somebody else, it could be a joke that on stage, like, killed. People loved it. It got a good Mm -hmm. response. And they didn't get it. And the problem I figured out with them is they know me so well. They know me off stage. They know me off you know, camera, they know how I actually am. And I'm not far off from what I am on stage, but it's just, they've known me for so many years. And I think it's right. harder for them to see me perform something. And they're like, well, I know you don't actually do or act quite like that. And I think it's mm-hmm. like a stigma for them. So when I write comedy, not only do I think about my kids, but I think about them too, because I know that if I can make them laugh, which does happen, if I can make them laugh, then I really hit a good joke. And that's right. in my head. That's where I'm at. Because I'm not worried about, like, the people in the audience. It's easy to get them to laugh. But it's hard to get those who actually love you, care for you, and everything, to get mm-hmm. them to laugh. Because they're going to tell you, hey, and I want that. That's good. I don't want, you know, you don't want somebody just say, hey, hey, it was great. It was a great joke. And, you know, you just have the worst joke in the world. So it's good to get yeah. that humility. Like I was saying earlier, it's good to get that humility. It's, it's a good dose. Yeah, I, I get the same thing from my wife when it comes to my artwork. You know, I'll show her something. She's like, eh. You know, it's like, oh, well, fine. You know, sh- it's still thing, it, yeah, it hurts, man. It hurts. It sucks. Like, well, it's, it's the I, worst. I, yeah, I try not to take it in, in such a way that it hurts. Um, you know, sometimes 
I'll have to explain something to her. And then she'll be like, oh, okay, well, now I get that. You might want to make that a little bit more clear. Right. By adding, you, you know. When you say it. Yeah. Like um, a little more soft. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I, uh, until uh, before I got my iPad with the Procreate Art Program, you know, I'm a classic artist, always pen and paper, pencil and paper, airbrush paint, whatever. I have so many unfinished material. Right. I have books that got half done drawing. And it eats away in the back of my head because I'm sitting here and I can, I can know exactly where they're all sitting. And it bugged me that they're not being finished. Do you ever have a situation like that with some of the material working on? It's like, I have this joke. I really should work on it. I really should try. Do you have oh, unfinished yeah. joke? All the time. It's, it's the worst part. Like, uh, there's jokes I've worked on for years that I haven't either ever brought on stage. And you just kind of like, you got one spot and you're like, it needs one more ingredients and you haven't figured it out yet. And then, once in a while, you'll just get a wild card while you're on stage and just randomly go pull that joke out and just say, I'm going to try it. And then you realize, right. like, it wasn't ready yet. It's definitely got to put it back. <laughs> and that happens all the time. So it's, you know, it's, yeah, that's that's very often. Right. Well, we have hit the one-hour mark. Uh, actually, just a little over an hour. Oh, um, good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll wrap up the show with this question when if if you come to the point and you're ready to put comedy down what would be the alternative for you what would be something else that you could do if you could, for some reason you couldn't do comedy i feel like i would be some kind of like motivational speaker um, okay. I think that's the biggest thing. I feel like I'm destined to be in front of people. It was either be a preacher or a comedian or motivational speaker. That's kind of like where my DNA lies. So right. whatever, whatever, you know, whatever happens or, or wherever it goes, I feel like I'm going to be, I, I went through what I've went through as a, as a, as a person, as a kid, everything else. It wasn't in vain. It was all part of some reason. And I look at it that way. And I think if you ever, anybody that's gone through, you know, all of us have anything in your life that's been, you know, somewhat traumatic or, or, or hurt you over the years and bothered you. Once you get through that and you've learned from it, it's your do job as a, as a, you know, another person to, to share that with other people to help other people. So whether I'm doing it in comedy or whether I'm doing it in just, you know, motivational speaking or whatever, I feel like that's what I'm kind of destined to do is be in front of people helping people and kind of sharing, sharing that load with people. Right. All right. Well, um, one thing I, I, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, as you were talking about some of your friend, uh, what I'd actually like to do is actually get you and a couple of your friends, uh, on the show and just let things fly. That'd Would be, that be something you'd be interested in. Yeah, we could totally do that. I could totally arrange that. All right. Well, I think we'll call that a night for now. And uh, is there anything you want to say uh, real quick? No, I appreciate you putting me on, man. Thanks for taking the interest. Oh, like no problem, no problem. People like yourself, man, that's uh, that's part of the whole process for me. Uh, you know, keeping me going, keeping me motivated is people like yourself, you know, uh, just inquiring and and taking the time to talk to me and find interest in what I'm doing. I appreciate that. Appreciate what you do. And thanks oh, for everybody God, that you know, tuned in and, you know, uh, just, yeah, it's awesome. Man. I appreciate all the support and love and, you know, love everybody. All right. Well, what I'll do is I'll put you in the back room and uh, just hang out there for a quick second and we'll be able to uh, hash out some details and uh, where we'll go from here. Um, but definitely, I really had a great time having you on here, and I look forward to having you on again. Yeah, you're awesome. Definitely. Good time. All right. All right. Well, I will talk to you in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dewey Sean. 
All right. Well, that's it, everybody. Uh, I really appreciate everybody stopping by to check us out. If you get the chance, you know, as I said before, go down to the description below and check out all of his links. His links are on the very top of the list. Uh, you'll find his uh, YouTube, his Instagram, his TikTok, and he also has some of his reels featured on AmericanHorror.net. So go over there, check it out, show some support and love. And uh, as I always say to everybody, you know, be smart and be safe out there. You know, treat each other with with some dignity and respect because you never know what's happening to people out there. And this world is crazy enough. We don't need to add to it. So until next time, hopefully I'll catch you under the streetlight. Uh-huh.